Our scripture this morning comes from John 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. <clears throat> Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever tried to give someone advice? I mean, like, not just any advice, but, but the sort of advice where you can see the path, the road that somebody's traveling down. You can, you can kind of peer into their future, and you can say, hey, if you would just, if you just stop right there and go another way, things are going to work out all right. But if you continue down the path you're going, I, bad things will follow. I had the privilege of working with college students. You guys know for seven years, and it's amazing how you can see the journey that a college student is on. You can say, hey guys, um, I, I know that um, you're really into this relationship that you've got right now, but maybe slow down. Slow down. Bad things can happen if you don't go at the right pace, if you don't make the right choices. Hey, it's, uh, it's six weeks into the semester. You should probably start studying, right? You, you should... It's two weeks into the semester, you haven't been to class yet, you should probably go to class, right? 
And you say these things because you've seen the journey that people have been on before, played out before your eyes. Some of us have been on those same paths, those same roads ourselves. And so you give warning, you give advice, you let them know that you had to learn the hard way yourself. And yet they go out and make the same mistakes that you warned them not to make. Because humans, we learn from experience, don't we? We all believe that, that we, have, uh, we are masters of our story, that we are the one who, who is plotting the course of our life, that we know best, and that by golly, we'll do our best in every scenario and situation. But again and again, we trip ourselves up and we fail. All the while, we have people speaking to us, whispering to us, sometimes shouting to us, don't go that way. But the truth is we learn from our mistakes and failures more than we learn from when things go well. This is the truth about United Methodism, isn't it? That, that we learn from our mistakes sometimes more than we learn from our successes. That was the fact for John Wesley. You remember that story, don't you? How he traveled over to America to, to be a missionary to the Native Americans in the area. Small problems, he didn't know how to speak the language, he didn't know their culture, he didn't know their rhythm of life, or, or even how to interact with them. So he shows up in Savannah, full of excitement and energy for the adventure to come, only to have to escape to Charleston under cover of darkness. An abject failure at evangelizing the Native Americans, brokenhearted because of a, 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 an ill-fated romance with a judge's daughter, he made his own mistakes, he refused them communion, and found himself having to slink back to England, unsure, unsure of himself, of his salvation, or even of his future. That ill-fated trip was a turning point in Wesley's life, though. On the way back, as he sat terrified in the midst of a raging storm. There were a group of Moravians who were standing there holding hands, singing hymns and praising God in the midst of the chaos. And Wesley thought to himself, mm, if only I could have that kind of assurance. If only I could have that kind of faith that would carry me through every storm of life. Well, Wesley didn't find it on his trip back across the ocean. It took him some weeks and months later till he found himself sitting in a chapel listening to Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, which, friends, if you need something to go to sleep to, that's it. <laughs> when he suddenly feels his heart strangely warmed and he realizes that he has salvation, and that he is the beloved of God. And that moment starts a movement that allows us to be in this space together today. Because Wesley had to experience failure and learn, experience assurance of salvation, and then start a revolution. We're here today because Wesley learned through experience, just like you and just like me. 
in the aftermath of Jesus' resurrection, you remember what the angel told Mary and the other Mary who were standing at the tomb. Do you remember the message? He is not here. Come and see where he lay. Now go and tell his disciples that he will meet them in Galilee. And because these two women listen to the angel and are faithful and obedient to the angel's message and begin going, do you remember what happens as they go to share with the disciples that Christ is risen? Who shows up? The resurrected Jesus, right? On the pathway, on the way back to tell the disciples the resurrected Jesus meets them and greets them and they clasp his feet and they worship him. Now in Matthew's gospel, we don't have much detail about what happens after that point. John's gospel, however, gives us a little bit of insight into what happened after the, after the women made their way to the disciples. And it says there in John's gospel that they thought the story was nonsense. They thought the story was nonsense, except for, except for Peter. Do you remember what Peter had to do? Peter had to go and see for himself. So he runs, and the disciple that Jesus loved, John, runs after him, and they get to the tomb, and they look in for themselves. Peter has to learn by experience. We know this from Peter's story, remember? When the disciples are in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes upon them, and they're all racked with terror. They see Jesus walking on the water. And Peter, what does he do? He calls out to them and says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. So Peter climbs out of the boat and begins walking on the water. He's an experiential learner. He walks out onto the water, and then he realizes, oh my goodness, I'm walking on water in the middle of the storm. There's Jesus, and he begins to look away and sinks. Jesus rescues him and puts him back into the boat. Peter is an experiential learner. The text that we're reading this morning occurs just after Peter has returned to his other disciples, to the other disciples from John chapter 20. It says there, and I'll read this for you again, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed at the Lord. Just pause right there for a second. Jesus steps into the chaos and the fear and the grief and the suffering that the disciples were experiencing. There's, make no mistake, there's a reason the doors are locked and the windows barred. They're afraid of the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities who would do the same thing to them that they did to Jesus. And yet Jesus steps into their suffering, into their grief, into their pain and says... Peace be with you. Peace be with you. But more than that, the text goes on. In verse 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you as my Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I want you to catch what Jesus is doing here. Jesus steps into their suffering, into their grief, into their chaos, into their pain, and he says, peace, but more than just offering them peace, 
Jesus also offers them purpose. Jesus steps in and says, peace be with you. I'm sending you. I'm sending you out to be bearers of my story, bearers of the gospel. Apostles who go from place to place and town to town to share the story of my death and resurrection. Whenever we find ourselves in that same position, when we find ourselves scared, lonely, lost, afraid, suffering, grieving, I want you to know that the resurrected Jesus stands there offering you peace but also purpose and equips you by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in faithfulness day after day after day after day. It starts with peace, it continues to purpose, and then we are equipped for the work of God in the world. You've got to imagine how those ten disciples must have felt. That's right, how those ten disciples must have felt. Because who was missing in the room that day? No, go ahead, you can say it. Uh, So Judas is gone, right? Judas is gone. But Thomas is gone. Thomas isn't there. And we don't know what Thomas was doing at this point. We don't know if there was no creamer left. So he went to the marketplace to get a little bit of, you know, goat milk for the coffee. We, we don't know if, if he wanted to go fishing because fishing sort of what he and his, his brothers and his friends knew how to do. So he's just dipping out to go fishing. for. We don't know where Thomas was. But he comes back and, and the ten who were there begin to tell him, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him. Jesus is alive. And Thomas is not excited, right? He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not, I will not, I will not believe. Now you might think that's, that's just like doubting Thomas to doubt like that. But think about who, who Thomas has spent his last three years with. Well, for most of his life with, if we're really honest. A bunch of fishermen. Now, if you've hung out with fishermen for very long, you've, you know what happens to the stories they tell. They get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? You know that at some point, they've all been out on the boat, and Peter gets back on the beach is like, and is telling the story of the catch a little bit later on in the day. He's like, you won't believe the fish that we caught. And Andrew's behind him like, eh. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a fish, but it wasn't a big fish, Peter. It was huge, right? Fishermen tend to tell tall tales and sometimes even stretch the truth. So Thomas isn't willing to sit and hear a story about a make-believe Jesus. You may call Thomas doubting Thomas, but what Thomas really wanted was the real thing. The real Jesus. The Jesus that he wanted is one who, who, who isn't just a story or a fable or a fairy tale, but Jesus who comes to offer healing and hope and life, and he's not going to settle for a story or settle for an imitation. He wants the real thing. I think our culture and our world sits in that very same place. Our culture today doesn't want an imitation Jesus. They don't want storybook Bible Jesus. 
They don't want Jesus who's dressed up to look like a Republican or a Democrat, a capitalist or a socialist. We don't want a Jesus who looks like plastic and culture, but instead what people truly want is an experience with the real and resurrected Jesus, friends. The real Jesus. What our culture hungers and thirsts for is an encounter with the real and resurrected Jesus just like Thomas longed for. In verse 26, it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again, saying, peace be with you. You can imagine the moment, can't you? When Jesus moves through the crowd of other disciples to stand in front of Thomas, And he says to him, put your finger here. See my hands. Thomas, reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. And then Thomas, Thomas, who was voted by the disciples least likely to succeed at discipleship, most likely to doubt in all circumstances or to have dumb questions. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, it's you, it's really you. It's not an imitation, it's not a fake, it's not a fable, it's not a story, it's really you, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you've seen me and you have believed, blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in the Gospel of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, sometimes in life you have to see in order to believe. I think back to my first visit here at at Pittman Park. Uh, whenever I, I was coming on staff for the very first time, I remember walking into the office and, and there inside the office, do you remember the desk that was there? It's now our massive coffee corner. Somehow that desk was inside of the church office. Um, it, was, it was there and behind the desk were a series um, of choroplast plans, like designs that an architect would show. And, and I'm curious. So I asked, I said, what are those? What's that behind the, the desk there? Oh, these are plans um, for our future uh, children's and youth wing. And the person that was showing me the plan said, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, at that time, our primary aesthetic here at the church was uh, cinder block and gray, right? Like that was early penitentiary is, is the style <laughs> down that hallway. I said, I'll believe it when I see it. And I thought, okay. It was amazing a year later to see the, the Y Delta trucks roll up and walls to begin to come down and floors taken up to go through an abatement. We don't want to do that again. And then finally, to be gathered together as the church in that wing 
Do you remember that Sunday? Some of you were here for that Sunday. That first Sunday inside of our renovated children's and youth wing, it was like, wow, I can't believe that we're in this space. Look at this place. It's incredible. There's like, it's a real street on the floor, and that's, that's real brick, and those are real textures. I can turn the knobs on the valves. We had to see it to believe it. Sometimes that's the case. Other times you have to believe in order to see. And, and there were people, even years before, I stumbled into the office and, and saw those plans, who believed before they saw. They believed that God could do something incredible, that this church could do something meaningful and powerful and impactful for our children and for our youth. And so they began working, believing, believing, before they ever saw it take shape and take form. Friends, sometimes you have to believe before you can see. You know what that's called, believing before you see? Faith. Faith. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I would suggest to you today that if you've had an experience with the risen and resurrected Jesus, if you've experienced his power, his love, his purpose, his will for you, if you've experienced the resurrected Jesus, if you've had a moment where you felt your heart strangely warm like John Wesley's was strangely warm, that you live with an assurance of things that are hoped for and a conviction of things that are not seen. And that causes you to do things like work in Rebecca's Cafe because you believe that by making sandwiches, we can make a dent in the issue of hunger here in our city. It's why some of you, when you come forward to receive Holy Communion, you leave offerings on the altar rail because you believe that by giving, you have a conviction that by giving and leaving an offering here that you can impact the lives of those who are facing poverty who are having their utilities cut off. It'll cause you to volunteer in our children's and youth programs because you believe that by investing in children and youth that you can help transform and reshape, redirect the entire trajectory of a child's life because they have an experience with the resurrected Christ in the very same way that you had an experience with the resurrected Christ. But you got to believe so that you can see. The reason John writes his gospel is that we might believe and that through our belief have our lives and our worlds changed by the power and presence of God, believing without seeing, believing so that we can see and so that we too can experience the fullness of God's presence and power in our lives so that we can see and experience the fullness of God's presence and power in our homes, in our community, in Bullock County, and all around the world. But it all starts with an experience of the real Jesus, the resurrected one, who's risen so that you too might rise and have life and life to the fullest. Would you pray with me this morning?
Lord, don't let us settle for anything but the real thing. Don't let us settle for imposters and stories and fables of you. Instead, God, help us to long for an experience with your real presence. Lord, help us to tune our hearts toward the rhythms of your grace that as we go throughout our day that we might see you and experience your presence in new and profound ways in the faces of those that we come into contact with, in conversations with friends, in moments of compassion and service directed toward others. Oh God, oh God, help us to see the real you so that we might find peace and purpose, so that we might be equipped by your Holy Spirit to share your gospel and truth with the world around us. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear, hands that serve, and hearts that beat with grace and compassion for you and for the world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.